0: Shabbat Shalom, Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Yeshua the Anointed, serving at God's pleasure, along with our brother Timothy, to you, dear holy and faithful brothers and sisters in the family of the Messiah who live in Colossae, may grace and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, envelop you. As always, we've been praying for you, thanking God, the Father of our Lord, Ever since we heard of your faith in Yeshua, the anointed, and your love for his holy ones, a faith and love that emerge from hope that you have heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, the very hope that waits for you in heaven. This same gospel that was brought to you is growing and bearing fruit all over the world, just as it has been, um, just as it has been growing among you since the day you heard and took in the truth of God's grace from our beloved fellow servant, Epaphras, He is a faithful minister of the anointed on our behalf. He was the one who told us of how you demonstrate your love in the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: Thank you, Heather. Ever so often I get folks saying something like, you guys never speak from the New Testament. Um, And the implication is either that we don't read and study it or we don't believe it, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're beginning a series not to answer um, any concerns. I was going to say criticism, but we'll call it concerns. Um, The truth is, I think, I hope you know, that a lot of prayer goes into uh, the selection of the passages uh, because this is not our word, it's the word of God. And what comes forth from the Torah, from the, the writings, from the prophets, from the New Covenant, the New Testament, is the word of God in one form or another. And it is very sacred. And we hold it very dearly. And so uh, it is my expectation that as we go through um, as much of Colossians as we will be able to, that the Lord will add something rich and precious to your life that you need at this particular point in your relationship with God. By the way, next Shabbat, uh, we will have Daryl Fenton, who was with us a number of months ago, uh, and he, he will be sharing uh, from the Torah portion, uh, and he will also have a um, a seminar on uh, Shabbat afternoon, uh, and also and and uh, you all are welcome. We'll have more specifics, uh, uh, more specific details. This is all part of our commitment and call. To engage in the work of outreach. And yes, there's the work of inreach, ministering to folks who are part of our Mishpacha. Uh, but the Lord has called us to have an, outre- an outward focus. And we want to take advantage of this brother's um, rich 30 uh, year experience and gifting. So I'd like to encourage you to come for that. And uh, then join us the following Shabbat for the study in Colossians. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord God, we bless your name. And thank you that in all life circumstances, you're very present. You're an ever-present help in time of trouble, challenges, challenges. Thank you, Lord God, for your sustaining grace. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word that sets us free. And we pray for each one of us, Lord, as we have been listening to you and tuning our hearts to you from the moment we stepped in today. We pray, Lord, that through this particular message and the other messages, Lord, in, in this book of, this epistle, we pray, Lord, that you would add to each one of us that which we need at this particular season in life, and we trust you in faith, Lord, for that to take place. In Yeshua's name, amen. You know, if you've lived long enough, and you have a couple of gray hairs, you realize that, in a sense, there's nothing new under the sun. And you look around today and and you see the uh, religious, what I would call goofiness, the goulash, the mixture, you know, where people take a little bit from this, a little bit from that, and they put it into a pot and they stir it. Um, And we get the wrong impression that this is something new, that nothing like that has ever happened before. And so we talk about New Age. Well, I have news for you. New Age existed 2,000 years ago uh, in a form of a bizarre uh, religion or philosophy called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism comes from a Greek word, uh, ginosko, which means to know. And the basic idea uh, of Gnosticism and mysticism in general, by the way, and you also find a, a form of that In Judaism, it's called Kabbalah. And the basic idea behind all these mystical forms is that to really know God, you have to have this special knowledge. And to have this special knowledge, you have to do something special in order to gain this knowledge. And that the real essence of the issue is that God is so holy and we're so profane, we're so ich that we need extra help in order to come to know God. So this is something that existed back in the first century. And you see signs of it in the writing of Paul and in the writing of John. And and so this is something that they dealt with and we deal with. And the the question you might ask is, why why do we need to think about these things well simply this in one form or another all these uh, wrong teachings mystical uh, religions and such do one thing and that is they tend to minimize the role and the power of yeshua's atonement in other words you get the impression that In order to experience all that God has for you, that Yeshua is not sufficient. And this is what we see in Scripture here in Colossians and elsewhere, is the fact that we who are disciples, modern-day disciples of Yeshua, have to embrace both hands and both feet the reality that when Yeshua came, died, and rose again, that that was sufficient for all that we needed in order to gain what God has for us. And so um, whether or not you've had dealings with mysticism, I like to tell you that in one form or another, all of us have experienced some bits and pieces of it where people come down the pike and they say, you know, I have heard this awesome teaching that tells you that if you follow these five steps you'll have this awesome relationship with God. And you say, wow, that's very cool. And then someone else comes along the pike and says, "Uh, I heard somebody else with 10 different steps, and if you follow that, then yes. And at the end of the day, you'll say, excuse me, uh, do I really need that? As we say in Jewish, I need that like a hole in the head. Because... Reality is, folks, that the good news of Yeshua is simple. It's both profound and something we'll never fully understand until we see God face to face. But it's also very simple, so simple that a child can get the basics of it. And the Stone Age follower of Yeshua in Papua New Guinea have a good relationship with God as much as you and I do whether or not they have a deep understanding of all the backgrounds of scripture or not and so this is something that we have to learn to stand strong against um, falsehood that tends to come and uh, undermine our relationship with God our identity as sons and daughters of God make us feel that that we need extra stuff in order to be able to be more deeply uh, connected and rooted in him. And so this is something that I felt led from time to time to address. Is simply the fact that Colossi is here today, folks. And, and the Mishigas, the craziness that was taking place back then is alive and well today. It has a different name, but it has the same kind of falsehood that tends to divert us from the simplicity of our relationship with god and at the end of the at the end of the day, what I hope not necessarily today physically, but at the end of the day next day or two or three or a month from now that all of us will come into a stronger, more dynamic relationship with God and be grounded, and, and have a a deep root system in our relationship with God. Hence, the title of the message: "How deep is your root system?" So, a bit about Colossi. Uh, Colossi at one time was a big a big hub that sat on the um, right smack in the midst of I-70 between San Francisco and New York. You understand what I mean? It was on a major hub, um, trade route. And um, the people who lived in Colossae were not Greeks. Uh, there was a Jewish community there of about 50,000. Uh, the people there were were called Phrygians, Don't try try to pronounce it quickly. Um, And their emphasis was on the good life, you know, LG. You know, you see that sometimes, uh, people's bumper stickers. In fact, there was a rabbi in the Talmud who was quoted as saying that the wines and baths of Phrygia have separated these tribes from Israel. In other words, that the so-called good life in Phrygia uh, tended to draw Jewish people away from the practice and the worship of the God of Israel into the so-called good life. And uh, part of the picture is every so often you have these goofy teachers who would come along and who would propound all kinds of falsehoods that in Colossae seems to be a goulash, a mixture um some of jewish uh asceticism in other words you've got to do this that and and the other you can't you know you have to put yourself in a uh, straitjacket you can't practice things that are a little different and um then there was also worship of angels um, and also the worst part of it is that they minimized Yeshua uh, because of this emphasis on secret knowledge. And so what, what you see here, Paul never comes out and says, let me tell you how stupid Gnosticism is, but he makes some statements that tells you very clearly that what he wants to do is not so much put Gnosticism down, but he wants to elevate Yeshua. And that's really... A sanity saver for us. Folks, you know, there's so much goofiness out there. And you can do nothing all day long, but get a PhD in the goofiness out there. Or you can do what the treasury agents are taught to do in order to deal with counterfeits. They're not given a zillion different counterfeit bills. They're given the one true bill of the United States of America and, and taught to study it in great depth so that when anything uh, goofy, counterfeit comes along the pike, they know how to identify it. And that's really the challenge for us, as it was for these guys, is to not so much emphasize the bizarreness that's out there, because there is a lot of bizarreness, but rather focus on the reality in the simplicity simplicity of what the Word of God tells us, and so uh, Paul, by the way, was not the one who started this particular congregation. Uh, it was begun by a fellow named Epaphras, who uh, was influenced by the awesome revival that took place in Ephesus. By the way, you may not be think- you may not be aware. Uh, or think of what took place in Ephesus as a revival. But when you reread these chapters in Acts, particularly 18 and 19, you see that the power of God was just poured out massively in an area that was uh, both engaged in gross idol worship and in a cult. You know, people were making a good living from, from being a cult practitioner's. Sorcerers. So apparently, uh, Epaphras came and came to know the Lord and caught fire and then came back to his hometown Colossae and uh, labored real hard and long to proclaim the good news of Yeshua in in Colossae and also in two of the neighboring uh, cities. Uh, Laodicea and Hierapolis that were sitting in the same basic basin. It's sort of like uh, Denver and Arvada and Boulder and so on. Um, and good stuff was happening there. Uh, these people were spiritually hungry. And uh, Paul begins this letter by by affirming that. And by the way, th- this was tr- typically how you wrote a letter to people. You say, uh, if, if you were um, a Roman or a Greek, you say, I thank the gods whenever I think of you. So that was kind of standard. Well, in this case, Paul doesn't say, I thank the gods. He says, I thank God um, because of what I've been hearing from you. And he doesn't just say that but he also says to them I pray for you whenever I pray for you I thank God for you and you you, want to stop and take a moment to think about where Paul was in those days A. he was an old man he was under house arrest 24-7 in other words he couldn't go to the kitchen to the bathroom anywhere without having these Roman soldiers And it's possible that he was chained to them, although we're not quite sure because he speaks about chains, whether it's literal or figurative. Um, And it just so happens that these guys were a captive audience and they all came to know Yeshua. Because, you know, Paul wouldn't talk about the weather or the Broncos. He would talk about Yeshua. And uh, and But still, remember, he was under house arrest, waiting to hear what was going to happen to him um, whenever he would come before crazy Nero. Remember, crazy Nero? He was the guy that burned Rome and etc. He was not particularly fond of, of uh, followers of Yeshua. And yet, what does Paul do? A, He talks to them about, about the Lord B. He prays a lot. Now, some of that could be because this was what he was used to as a Jew. And an Orthodox Jew in those days prayed three times a day. Morning, afternoon, and evening. And um, so whenever Paul prayed, he remembered to pray for them. Now, he had no real contact with them other than his connection with the and possib- and probably with Philemon. You remember Philemon, that little that little chapter. Uh, Philemon, by the way, was a slaveholder. If you from if you have read Philemon, you know that he was the master of Onesimus, who ran away and came to know the Lord, and so on. So these guys knew Paul, but uh, most of the congregation, there was probably a house congregation. Uh, were strangers to Paul. And yet Paul, because he's an apostle, he's someone who is given authority by God to provide leadership and nurture to people in that area. He prays for them. And remember, folks, we talk about Rome. You know, we're not talking about some user-friendly country. And remember that Paul, before he got to this house arrest, went through hell. I mean, for him, it was no big deal, but he talks about the fact that he was beaten with rods five times by the Romans. I mean, that alone scares me. And then he was beaten three times in the synagogue, 39 times, which is the maximum amount that a Jew could be beaten, because 40 was considered to be number of uh, of completion, you know Moses was up in the mountain forty days and so on. So you give a person forty minus one. Um, Paul was beaten and he was shipwrecked and so on and so forth. So uh, when he thanks God that the good news of Yeshua is at work powerfully throughout the world. He's not being Pollyanna. She's not saying everything's fine, it's all going to turn out. Paul understands a reality, difficult, painful reality that he was dealing with, they were dealing with. But much more than that, folks, he understands the all surpassing, out of the ballpark power of God. And so he says God has been at work throughout the world. Why is that important for us to consider? Simply this, you know, sometimes we're consumed with ourselves. We don't realize that there's much beyond us. And the miracle for us to know is that God is at work in other places doing things that are incredible, whether we know about them or not, we have to affirm and by faith say, yes, um, there's all kinds of stuff going on in this world, but the good news of Yeshua is at work big time. And we know that from reality because uh, there have been all kinds of stories of the power of God breaking out in different places around the world. Example, in the Muslim world, there have been all kinds of stories, Boku stories of Muslims having dreams and visions of Yeshua and coming to know the Lord. Several months ago, I showed you a clip about one of those guys who was in prison who had a vision of Yeshua. So God is at work. And what Paul does here is he begins by modeling for them that despite the difficulties you go through, you have to stop and say, thank you, God, for what it is that you're doing out there. And yes, it is a miracle it is a miracle for us to be able to get into that mind frame because so often we're used to the negative, you know, the Eeyore business. Things are difficult, and which they are. However, Scripture tells us to learn to practice the spiritual discipline of thanksgiving. Later in Colossians, Paul tells him the following... Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Yeshua. Give me thanks to the Father through him. Give thanks in all circumstances. And this is in, in the letter to the Thessalonians. For this is God's will for you in Messiah Yeshua. So, if you're washing dishes, you give thanks for the presence of God in your life. If you're working in, in your tool, uh, with your tools... And if you're mowing the lawn or whatever it is that you're doing, you pause and you give thanks. And you you learn to do that each and every single day. Why? First of all, thanksgiving is appropriate for God. He deserves to be thanked. Have you rewinded, reviewed your tapes And remember times in your life where God did something awesome at some point in your life. And I dare say that it's been more than once in your life. And so Scripture gives us this command. It's not a a suggestion. If you feel like it, if you had a good night's rest, the sun is shining. Etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No. It, it is a command. It, it is a spiritual discipline that you say, okay, Lord, I want to learn to give thanks. If nothing else, folks, you have a new day of life for which you give thanks, right? Well, I'm glad somebody is amening me. And every time you stop and give thanks, what you're doing as well, you're giving God what belongs to him. But also, you're feeding your own love relationship with God. You're putting miracle grow on it. And you remember, for example, the truth of the word of God here in Romans Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son... But gave him up for us all, how much more with him, along with him, will he graciously give us all things? And that comes back to a basic grasp of how you view God. How do you view the Father? Do you view him as miserly, curmudgeonly? Then when he sees you having a good time, he says, cut it out. I need to make you suffer. Or do you say... Lord, in and through and despite all circumstances, I know you love me. I know you're present with me. I know you have good plans. I know you are at work. And I want to engage in what it is that you're doing. Thanksgiving is a learned behavior, folks. It doesn't come naturally to all of us. I would say probably to none of us you know and if you're jewish it's a particularly tough uh, uh tough learning curve you know we've had 2000 years to kvetch and complain and so on paul is so paul is is giving thanks for what god is doing and the good news was spreading But it didn't take over the whole world. How do we know that? Well, we know that believers were persecuted during those days. And yes, the good news of Yeshua came from Jerusalem and spread out all over. However, here are a couple of facts. Josephus, a Jewish historian, never mentions anything about believers. Christians, so-called. The same thing with Tacitus, a Roman historian. So the Romans were not especially thrilled with believers. Why? Because they were considered to be atheists. They only believe in one God. So difficulties are there, folks. And the culture around us teaches us to be ungrateful. And we have a hard time seeing the power of God at work. And instead of engaging in thanksgiving, we engage in all kinds of other stuff because other people are doing it. You know how it is. um, Our esteemed president sends out a a tweet and the liberals uh, send out counter-tweets and the conservatives send out counter-tweets to those counter-tweets. And everybody is nervous. And so we tend to jump in and and give our opinions. Well, I have news for you. Our mission in life is not to affirm the president or speak against him. Our mission in life, folks, is to affirm the king. The king, folks. And we have to remember that this mouth doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. God. Yeah? I know that's a radical concept, but God gave us a mouth not for us to shoot it off in all kinds of directions, but for us to invest what comes out of our mouth in the building of His kingdom. Paul says, do not offer parts of your body to uh, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Romans 6.13 Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So, do you join the multitudes who look for junk And park on it and say, wow, look at all this rubbish taking place here. Or do you pray for opportunities for your mouth to be an instrument of God? And engage in a particular assignment God gives you. Folks, uh, we have to tell you that Joey and I live in central Denver, which is a very liberal area. And I run into all kinds of folks who talk about this, that, and the other about the government. And I don't feel it's my job to respond to them. I feel like my job is to to say, Lord, what is my current assignment in this particular situation? And so we have been called to be fruit-bearing. I want to talk about that for a minute here. Uh, fruit bearing means that part of it is what God does and part of it is what we do. What God does is simply his power comes through us and his wisdom comes through us. Remember Yeshua said, without me you can do Zippo. And if the spirit of God is at work in us, what, what's going to come out is good stuff. If we are resistant and if we tell God, God, uh, respectfully, I know what needs to take place. I have a good agenda. Then what will come out will be our agenda. But if on the other hand we say, Lord, I'm willing for whatever it is you have in mind to take place. Then what will come out will be the fruit of the Spirit, first of all, what He does in us, in our character. He changes our character. And second of all, as a result of that, what He does in us comes forth and impacts people around us. And so that's our commitment, is to get up in the morning, give thanks, and say, Lord, here I am. And I know I, I, I recognize the fact that none of us pops out of bed and, uh, with a cheery smile and, and uh, says, here I am, uh, Commander-in-Chief, I'm ready to do... It, sometimes it takes some getting, you know, some, a little bit of work where you say, okay, God, yeah, I know, it's a hard night, but uh, thank you for a new day and what you have in mind. And I want to engage in what it is that you're doing. Remember, Yeshua said, you didn't call me. I chose you and selected you so that you would bear fruit. So that's our part, is to be committed to doing that, to be willing to do what it is that God has in mind for us on a given day and come with humility Say, God, here I am. Here I am. You know, I'm not the brightest bulb in the world, but here I am. And sometimes the way God uses it's pretty surprising. I want to close with this story. Um, Joy and I were on vacation for a couple weeks, and uh, I was told that part of the fun that I could do, I mean, she had different kinds of fun, But part of the fun that I could do was be hauled off with uh, um, a truck that had a a bicycle all the the way to the top of Vail Pass, and I would come down. And I know since then I have been, I've had a number of bony fingers pointed in my direction, as in, how dumb could you get? Um, And so I... uh, yes um, I uh, got to talk with a young fellow who schlepped me up there and uh, you know you don't dare to say the word religion because people will say I don't believe in religion uh, I said where are you spiritually and even that's kind of touchy and he finally said uh I, and I translated that into his speak. I said, what do you think about God? And he said, uh, much to my surprise, I believe in God. Uh, I wouldn't be here if it, was, if it weren't for God. Uh, I could have been dead a whole bunch of times. And there were all kinds of circumstances that meant Uh, that I could have died, and somehow I'm here. So, yeah, God must be in the picture somewhere. And I simply said to him, if that's the case, do you think that God has a purpose for you? That was a thought-provoking question. And he said, I don't know. And I simply said to him, look, If it was God who has kept you from dying all these different times. Maybe he has a purpose and maybe you simply need to say, God, would you please speak to me and show me what is your purpose? Now, it was not, you know, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Um, And I don't consider myself to be an evangelist, someone who's gifted with that. I just wanted to come and say, Lord, here I am. And somehow God opened the door. Now it so happened I also had a pretty nasty fall afterwards. But hey. (laughs) Um, Folks. uh, Almighty God. Like in the case of Yeshua. He looked out over the multitude. And he was moved with compassion. Because he saw people who were confused and who were like sheep without a shepherd. And I I believe that sometimes we as believers are either preoccupied with ourselves and our stuff or we withdraw into believing ghettos and we are indifferent to the fact that folks out there need to encounter the presence of God through our life. And yes, all of us have areas of brokenness. All of us have areas of yuck. If we waited for the brokenness to go away, if we waited for the yuck to go away, we would never do anything. But yes, somehow, God says, are you willing to to be available and, and go along for the ride? And so when we look at circumstances, we look at people... We need to see them through God's eyes and recognize the fact that despite everything that's going on in this crazy mixed up world that is getting crazier and more mixed up the power of the good news of Yeshua is at work touching people and and he simply invites us to be part of the process not to fix anybody or to do it all but simply simply to be part of the process so to, in a few moments we're we're going to pause and and reflect. As as the music is playing, you're welcome to come up for prayer or pray at your seat. But uh, I simply want to encourage you and simply say, Lord. Simply say, Lord, do I care about the folks around me who don't know you? Do I care? And if the answer is truly no, then you say, Lord, bring about that change. Bring about that change. I want to be like Yeshua, and Yeshua was moved with compassion. So take a moment or so and, and simply have a chat with the Lord. Invite Him to rearrange your thinking and realign your priorities so that whatever it is that you do on an ongoing basis, you're available to be his ambassador. Father God, we bless you for your amazing kind of love that you pour out on us, Lord. Love that covers a multitude of sins. We thank you, Abba, Father for the privilege to be your sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord God, that you invite us to be your servants and co-participants and partners with you in this urgent work of impacting people around us, Lord. And we, we simply pray that you teach us how to be available, Lord. Show us, Lord, what that means. Add faithfulness to our character. Teach us, Lord God, how to each and every single day be available to what it is that you want to do. We simply pray, Lord, that you would receive much honor and glory in Yeshua's name. Amen.